everyone. Welcome to News and Brew Sports Biz, our video and podcast series that advocates for the financial voices in college athletics and features new developments impacting the business of college sports. I'm Katie Davis, leader of the James Moore Collegiate Athletics team, and I'm joined by my partner, Ken Kurzel. Katie and I are going to chat today with our special guest and colleague, Melody Lechleidner. Hey, Melody, welcome. Thanks. Melody is a tax director with our firm who specializes in state and local tax issues. We've discussed in previous episodes the complexities tax responsibilities, something student athletes will be facing as they begin earning income off their name, image, and likeness. And as you said, it's really complex. We've talked about this a lot in previous episodes um, because there's multiple forms of tax that um, anyone in America that earns money uh, has to pay, whether it's um, federal income tax for sure. Um, Depending on the state you're in, you could also be subject to state income tax. And then, of course, if you are earning your own money and you aren't an employee of another business, you're also subject to self-employment tax. Um, So those three things, we call it a three-legged stool of tax that um, student athletes are going to be faced with and have to learn more about. Um, And I know taxes aren't significant in the grand scheme of things of everything NIL and add a pandemic on top of that. And we know that it's not really something that's front of mind, Um, but not having a basic understanding could be significant to an athlete and potentially to your university. and we've talked about this before, but imagine, you know, a headline that says star athlete of ABC University is penalized for tax evasion. Um, and that's going to look bad on the university. So from a reputational risk standpoint, uh, we just want to make sure you're at least aware of some of the basic concepts. Consider whether some of those basic concepts should be included in some of the NIL training and education that your student athletes are receiving. Um, so that you can maybe become aware of some of the red flags that are out there that you want to try to avoid. Um, as you prepare and protect your student athletes for this new landscape. Um, We've already heard some athletic administrators who have said their athletes are already asking about taxes and some of the really big third party providers um, aren't necessarily offering what what they feel is needed for their student athletes as part of their education. Um, So you'll want to really check that out. Make sure that your NIL education platform has some quality resources on taxes from a source that you trust that's qualified to speak about taxes. Um, so, you know, whether that's another third party, um, maybe a CPA firm like James Moore, or even somebody on campus in your uh, college of business or your school of accounting, um, you know, you've got some people and resources that can help your student athletes just learn a little bit more about what to expect. Yeah, I think those are all great points, Katie. And, you know, we've made the the point before on previous episodes that college athletes should be getting the information from a source they trust, and they're going to rely on their universities um, who are providing them already with a quality education to also educate them in this area. So, um, so Melody, in some instances, student athletes um, are now looking a little bit more like, you know, at professional athletes to understand some basic financial concepts that they might face with NIL. Um, can you explain how the income tax landscapes for college athletes might differ from what professional athletes face in, you know, what's commonly referred to as the jock tax? Right. Um, so, as you mentioned, professional athletes are often subject to tax in all the jurisdictions that they connect with, whether that be the ta- the state that they're a resident of or the states that they're playing games in. 
And um, many states have specific statutes related to tax for professional athletes. College athletes are probably going to fall under those same statutes um, and therefore be subject to tax in those same jurisdictions that they're connected with. I think one of the key differences between professional athletes and college athletes is that the professional athletes are employees of the team that they're playing for. So they have the benefit of the organization withholding tax for, their, for them in all the jurisdictions that they're playing in. The college athlete isn't going to have that same benefit. They're not earning revenue as an employee. They're earning more on an independent basis. So they're going to be solely responsible for filing the returns, but also ultimately paying the tax. They're not really getting the benefit of anyone withholding on their behalf throughout the year. So in some respects, it almost feels like the college athlete is, is required to be more responsible than the professional athlete because the professional athlete at least has the benefit of the organization withholding on their behalf. Wow. Yeah, and that's, that's really good. And, um, you know, I think if you are comparing yourself to professional athletes, um, look at what they're doing off season um, because, you know, pro athletes are paid to play. So they are employees of their teams. They're, they're earning income by playing and then paying taxes potentially in the states where they're playing. Um, you know, college athletes as of right now are not um, being paid to play. It's everything else that you're doing, sponsorships, appearances, camps, and those other things that you're performing off the field um, and, and really how you earn that money um, depends on a lot of things that I know we'll get into in this episode, but um, the, the, um, the treatment of that would be like, you know, the pro athletes are also doing sponsorships and camps and things like that. So you want to look to maybe that without looking at their entire picture. And that was a great point, Melody, that um, in some respects, college athletes have to be more responsible and careful. Um, so thank you for saying that, because that is a really good point. Um, so, you know, state taxes are complicated. Uh, each state has its own rules, especially complicated when um, we've shared examples like this before, but you have an athlete from one state who attends school and earns income in another state, then may travel to a third or even fourth or fifth state and earn income in those states as well. Um, and, you know, being from one state and earning income in another state um, could potentially be a disadvantage um, depending on the state you're from and the state where you're um, earning um, and what your home state's rules are. So um, Melody, talk a little bit about what it means your home state and what residency is, and then when it would make sense to maybe change your residency from where your parents' house is to where you're going to school. Um, what circumstances would make sense for a student athlete to do that? and um, also how that's going to impact their parents. Right. So um, residency is actually something, you know, that drives a lot of state tax liability. Um, you know, for individuals, it's, you know, where they, for the most part, live and work. For athletes, um, particularly student athletes, since generally students, um, residency doesn't change when they go to college. Typically, they're still a resident of the jurisdiction that they came from. The act of simply moving to college doesn't really change that residency for them. 
So as they're earning name, image, and likeness income, that home state of residency is really going to have a tie initially to all that revenue that they're earning. And they're gonna have a filing obligation in those jurisdictions, in that jurisdiction, in addition to the jurisdictions where they could be earning the income. Um, they could have non-resident filing uh, obligations there as well. So, um, you know, residency is really a facts and circumstances kind of analysis. Um, you know, it's not simply saying that you want to be a resident of another state. You have to physically move there. Um, but for many of these athletes, they've probably already moved to another jurisdiction since that's where they're going to school. Um, so that may not be enough to really change the residency since um, they're still often connected to their home residency by virtue of them being a student. So taxing authorities really look to other things like, you know, where's your driver's license? Did you change your driver's license? Where are, do you vote? You know, where do you go to the doctor? Where do you do things in your normal course of business, in your mm -hmm. normal daily life? You know, I've seen cases where people look at, you know, where where do you board your pets when you go on vacation? You know, mm -hmm. things like that that are just incident to your day-to-day -day life, you know, and that really is indicative of where you are a resident. Um, and I think this is gonna be really interesting, particularly for college athletes that come from high taxing jurisdictions, like a California, that um, maybe end up going to school like a Florida or you know another low taxing jurisdiction. Um, because let's say they're earning most of their revenue in Florida where they're based for college, that home state is still gonna have that tie to that, you know, they still have a filing obligation there and they're still subject to tax there. So if they've truly really have no other connection with California, but for their family is still there, they might consider shifting their residency to the lower taxing jurisdiction. So they're not still subject to tax in California. You know, for Florida, they don't have a state income tax. So in that example, the student athlete would have all of their income taxed in California if they were only really earning income in Florida. So I could see that as an incentive for people to shift their residency. Yeah, does it matter for their parents' tax return? Um, like, could they still be claimed as a dependent for, from their parents? Um, or would they have to start filing independent? So I think that comes down to um, the support rules, right? So if, they're, um, no, if their parents are no longer providing 50% of their support, then certainly they're not um, eligible to be claimed as a dependent um, for federal tax purposes. And that would follow through to the states as well. Um, I also think there's an argument to be made that if they change their residency, even if they're still maybe at that 50% threshold, I don't know that a parent could still claim them on a state income tax return since the, the child is a resident of another jurisdiction. Oh, those are great points. And then certainly as that student athlete starts to earn money off of name, image, and likeness, that's going to make that even a further point that, uh, that the parents probably aren't providing 50% anymore when you consider the scholarships and support and then the, the amount they're earning off NIL. So yeah, it definitely changes the landscape. So uh, Melody, one other thing we definitely anticipate seeing is that, you know, many athletes will start receiving non-cash compensation as part of this, um, you know, such as access to a dealer vehicle, for instance. Can you tell us a little bit about how non-cash items are valued and get reported to them on 1099s? Sure, so I think this is one of the areas that student athletes are going to be most surprised by. Um, and think if they've had summer jobs or things in the past, they might be familiar with you know, filing a tax return or understand you know, that they 
they get a W-2 and file a tax return. But the non-cash compensation, I think that's something that maybe they haven't really had any exposure to. And to understand that those things are subject to tax as well. So, um, you know, depending on the fair market value of the car they get to drive or, you know, the item they receive in non-cash compensation, that's going to be income to them as well. And they'll should expect to receive a 1099 for the value of, of that non-cash item that they received and will have to report it and pay tax on it as well. Yeah, and something, you know, we try to make, emphasize is you can't just drive a car and not do anything else unless you're really planning ahead um, because unfortunately you can't pay taxes with 25% of a car. Um, you, you have to pay taxes with cash. So that means you have to have some cash saved either if you have excess um, financial aid um, from cost of attendance money or something that you've got saved or um, you may have to just pick up another cash paying gig just to be able to cover the taxes for the car that you're driving. Right. Um, so some other ways student athletes will, um, we foresee earning money is based on uh, social media following and the influencing that they may be doing by promoting other brands and other products. Um, you know, some of them may receive cash, which would be excellent. Um, some may get free products and some may just get a unique discount code that can apply to the purchase of those products. Um, but how does taxability differ in those scenarios? And, um, you know, from a state tax perspective, how would that income be taxed at the state level? Like, is it as clear as saying that it just all defaults to your state of residency or the state where the income is earned? And what if the company where that you're supporting is in a different state than you are. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, so this is the area that actually makes me the most nervous about all of this. Um, I think you really have to look, I mean, certainly it's all subject to tax, right? You're earning, you're getting a benefit from all of those scenarios that you described, um, but you really have to pay attention to what the transaction is. You know, certainly in the car example, you're receiving an item that you can kind of trace to where you received that item, um, where that car was driven. You can really, you know, look at those details. But when you get more into the, you know, code, discount code or the social media influencer type income, I think that area in terms of the sourcing of that information for state tax purposes, which state is really going to tax that revenue, that area is a lot more gray um, and I think there's really not any strong definitive guidance on how to source that that information or that uh, receipt. I mean certainly the home state of residency will have its claim because it's your home state of residency and it you know it subjects everything that you earn to tax potentially but in terms of those non-resident states um, I think that's an area that I, we just, I just don't know where that's gonna go right now. I mean, I can certainly see a scenario where um, an athlete is on social media, has a strong social media presence, is really out there. And I think you could see states get really aggressive and try to go after athletes that maybe haven't been in the state, but because their ads are run in the state or there's that presence of them in the state, you know, try to make the argument that they could be subject to tax there as well. I think student athletes are really gonna have to pay attention to where this goes um, because I think there'll be guidance on it, but it'll be evolving guidance. And I don't think there's gonna be any black and white answer. Yeah, yeah. Some great 
it's a very scary area, I agree. And, and one thing I know in talking with you and other tax expert, experts in our firm is that, you know, the states increasingly have gotten really aggressive at trying to source income and tax it. So um, I would expect that, that this is an area that they might um, really, you know, try to spread tentacles a little bit further is the best way to put it, probably. So, yeah. Well, yeah. and just as, as wild, wild west and complicated as NIL is right now with various states having their own laws, I mean, it's compounded when you look at tax law. So, so if the state law for NIL is driving you crazy, just imagine how complicated it is for the income taxes. Absolutely. I mean, I'll also say too, we're entering a time, I mean, coming off the pandemic, a lot of states, their overall revenue is down. Um, you know, they haven't been getting the tax revenue that they would have um, previously. So that tends to make the states more aggressive um, and looking for any type of revenue stream that they can latch onto and tax. So that's something to consider too, um, as we're kind of in this period. Great. Well, one thing that we hear often from, um, you know, is the talk about LLCs, that many coaches and pro athletes have their own LLCs, limited liability companies. Um, and we've seen some advisors suggest this as an option. Um, can you explain a little bit about what this means from a tax standpoint and, you know, why having an LLC means also added responsibility of owning a business? Right. So, um, yes, the LLC gives them liability protection, legal liability protection. So that could come into play if they're potentially sued for a breach of contract situation or maybe an endorsement that they made where there was something you know, wrong with the product. It, it shields them from that legal liability. But as you say, there's a responsibility that comes along with that. Um, the LLC is a separate legal entity, so it would still have its own filings, um, tax filings potentially, in um, federal and state potentially, depending on how it's set up. And there's also Secretary of State filings or annual fees that might have to be paid every, uh, to maintain that LLC. And you have to be very careful when you have a separate entity that you maintain that separate entity. So the concept of piercing the corporate veil, you have to make sure that you know, you're doing things from that LLC sort of separately than what you would do personally. So you can't just use that LLC to pay your bills or whatever. You really have to maintain that separate entity status between the LLC and the individual. Um, and just the administrative, additional administrative aspect of having an entity. So the additional filings, the fees, you've got to stay organized and on top of that. Mm -hmm. And and you know there are different ways you can be taxed as an LLC. So. Um, you could keep it simple from a tax standpoint and be a single member LLC, which is means it flows into your own personal tax return um, on a Schedule C. But what about um, there's also the S Corp option. So so what would be different from a taxability option if they were an S Corp? Um, so one thing about the LLC, too, from a state perspective, before I switch to the S-Corp, is um, yes, it could be a single member LLC, but you could still be responsible for franchise taxes in certain states if you, um, depending on what states the student athletes are, you know, or have connection with or earning income in. Um, so that could be additional filing for that LLC. Um, the S-Corp, from a state tax uh, perspective, you need to make sure that the S-Corp um, is an S-Corp for state purposes. Not all states automatically accept 
the federal S election. So you need to make sure that that your state um, does, and if not, that you do the S election um, in that jurisdiction. But there's also the opportunity to um, deduct the self-employment tax through the S corp. So that might be something um, uh, that's a benefit for an individual that has an S corp as well. Mm -hmm. And then what about um, payroll um, employees, um, things like that? Um, is there any strategy that with that? Um, I mean, if you have employees in the entities, you would certainly have to follow the protocols related to having employees, you know, issue W-2s and make sure that information is reported. So again, um, you know, an administrative burden in doing that, you would have to, um, you know, you would get a deduction for, for the um, salaries of the employees, but it just comes down to, you know, maintaining those records and making sure that you have all of that documented. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, so Ken and I have talked about this before. Don't get tax advice on TikTok. Um, <laughs> I did see a TikTok that suggested you go through all this, you um, create uh, the LLC, you hire your parents on as employees or officers of the corporation, um, you pay them basically all of your income, so then you can deduct it and then have them gift it back to you. That's not okay. <laughs> I just want to say that. <laughs> so don't think that you can like get money tax free to your parents by having an LLC. I'm just going to say that. So for those of you admin staff, I know student athletes aren't listening to this. If you hear that, like that's not okay. And I know you all probably aren't going to want to give tax advice, but you maybe at least need to say, hey, why don't you consult a qualified tax professional on some of these ideas before you go and do something? Um, so just please <laughs> be careful um, and you know, listen out for your athletes because they will be susceptible to information they hear if they think it's from someone that knows what they're talking about when that person may not have any legitimacy talking about that at all. And it won't work for states either. So not just the federal side, but the states would look through that as well. Yeah. Well, so, okay, so let's talk about tax planning opportunities that are legit and not the ones that are um, going to make the wrong kind of headline. Um, so what are some, uh, you know, as far as the do's and don'ts, what are some allowable expenses that student athletes can take advantage of that would reduce their taxes? Um, so we'll start there. And then after that, I also want to touch on what are some common expenses that are not a tax write-off um, based on the IRS rules? So I think in terms of allowable expenses, I mean, certainly if they're traveling related to an appearance that they're making or, you know, they have a meal that's related to that, certainly those things would be um, deductible against the income that they've earned. Um, I think one thing to note, too, is that it's really important that they document and keep track of everything that they're going to try to exclude or deduct as, an ex as a deductible item. Um, and that's not just for the federal side, but for the state side as well. So if they're in a situation where they're traveling to multiple states and they're doing all these appearances and they're earning income that way, they need to make sure they're documenting the expenses that go along with each one of those um, individual appearances, because that's something that if they were ever challenged, the state's going to immediately ask for that they have those. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good point. So now on the flip side, 
what can you not write on? And, and I asked this thinking about if anyone watches the show Shit's Creek, where um, David goes in and is working for this business and he just starts maxing out the credit card and everything's a write-off. And um, it's hilarious as an accountant um, watching that, but it's not <laughs> hilarious to watch a student athlete do that. So what are some things they can't um, write off as a business expense? So, I mean, I think the things that are personal to them, right? So the, the clothing that they, they have or the shoes or, you know, any of those things that they might be tempted to because they're, you know, making money as an athlete um, to be able to deduct those. But, you know, those are not, you know, ordinary necessary to the business that they're in. So those would not be deductible. And I've seen this question a lot from public figures, um, anyone that feels like they have to have a new um outfit for every time they make an appearance and get their hair done if you're you know or your nails or your makeup or whatever and and that's certainly spend the money on it but you're not going to be able to deduct that for tax purposes i wish we could yeah <laughs> <laughs> absolutely um yeah, I mean, this is all really good. So I'm just going to say it again, if you missed it at the beginning, um, this is a big deal and it's may not be significant in the grand scheme of all things NIL, but it's going to be more important than where the conversations are right now. So if you have an entity that's providing NIL education, please make sure that in the financial literacy part, which some states require financial literacy training by law, um, that it includes a tax component to at least, we don't expect your student athletes to become accountants and we know their attention span is really small, but if they can at least remember red flags and even your staff hear those red flags, like that's so important to helping to protect your student athletes through this process. Um, so make sure that there is taxes, if there's, if there is taxes um, as part of your educational platform that it's from a reputable source. If there's not, um, look elsewhere. I mean, I'm just gonna give a shameless plug right now. We have some information together that puts a lot of this in a nutshell that's digestible and speaking the language of student athletes. Um, so, uh, you know, we can offer that to you for, um, you know, a resource to be able to help your student athletes through this time. Well, great. Um, one of the reasons we named the series News and Brews, uh, for those who've listened for a while, is that Katie and I, as we're going across the country visiting our clients, one of the things we like to do is visit local breweries. Uh, we have a lot of fun with that. And um, so with that, I know, Melody, I know you're not a, a big beer drinker, but um, can you tell us what you're enjoying uh, as we have this episode today? Yes, I am enjoying a Fever Tree Ginger Beer in the spirit of the brews. Um, Excellent. My husband swears by it as a mixer as well. So yes. <laughs> very well. And, and Katie, what are you enjoying today? Yeah, so I'm excited. I will say before I talk about my brew, I was so excited. I now have flights in my Delta app, um, which means I'm going to get to experience brews outside of Gainesville um, for the first time in over a year. Um, so this is a Gainesville brew um, from Swamphead Brewery. It's called um, Snakes on the Pains. I hate snakes but I love Payne's Prairie, which is a state park here in Florida. One of my favorite places. So it's a, a you know, an homage to that. Um, it's a um, New England IPA and very tasty. Great. And likewise, uh, you know, we've celebrated a lot of our local breweries. I'm drinking a Swamphead beer as well. 
uh, called Intergalactic Panther um, is also a hazy New England IPA and very refreshing today. Well, Melody, thank you so much for joining us. We're so glad to have you on our team. And, um, you know, your knowledge of state and local taxes is, you know, great. And I'm so glad you shared, you know, your thoughts today because I think it's going to give people a lot of, to think about. So thanks for joining us. And we're so glad to have you as part of our team. And thank, um, thank, yeah, and thank you to our listeners for tuning in. Cheers. Cheers. To learn more about the James Warren Company Collegiate Athletics and Higher Education segments, go to jmco.com. And don't forget to sign up for insights to get our latest industry updates, news and events delivered straight to your inbox. You can also follow us on Twitter at jmcohighered and on LinkedIn for the latest news as the landscape of collegiate athletics and higher education is continually evolving. 